Um, it's my pleasure now to uh, continue with our program uh, and to welcome our next speaker, Ruth Wolven. Ruth is the librarian at Kew Primary School in Melbourne and the primary school representative on the School Library Association of Victoria's Council. She is a member of the Children's Book Council of Australia's Victoria Branch Committee, uh, coordinating the Authors in Schools program, and she's currently a judge for the CBCA Book of the Year Awards in the Younger Readers category. At the end of 2019, Ruth was awarded a SLAV Research Fellowship to evaluate best practice for resourcing school libraries in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander curriculum. She was keen to investigate the National Library of New Zealand as they provide a comprehensive service to schools, supporting the curriculum and advising on the diversity of school library collections. Ruth was interested in what lessons can be learnt from this model to inform the work of school libraries and classrooms in Victoria. Welcome, Ruth. Are you there with us? I am here. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Wonderful. I, thank you. I would all, uh, like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people uh, who are the traditional custodians of this land and I'd like to acknowledge the tr traditional custodians of the land on which you are tuning in from in various areas of Victoria and beyond, I believe. And I would like to pay respect to the Elders past, present and emerging as well as any First Nations Australians present with us today. Uh, thank you to Slav for awarding me the Research Fellowship last year and then inviting me to share some of my findings today. In 2015, Akara stated, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and cultures cross-curriculum priority provides an opportunity for all young Australians to gain a deeper understanding and appreciation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures, knowledge, traditions and holistic worldviews. And I became interested in this cross-curriculum priority um, and how we build meaningful collections um, after the SLAV primary conference last year when Shelley Ware, a Yan Kanadjajara and Wurunguru woman from Adelaide, who is a teacher and broadcaster in Melbourne, spoke about the NAIDOC week resources she had collaborated on. And in the questions afterwards, um, some of the conference delegates expressed what we've already heard today, um, a lack of confidence in teaching or supporting the uh, cross-curriculum priority because they feared saying the wrong thing or they didn't think they knew enough. In fact, in September 2020, ASOL released a discussion paper called The Indigenous Cultural Competency in the Australian Teaching Workforce. And this was a discussion with a group of profession and community stakeholders about the impacts, needs and considerations of con cultural competency in the context of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education. It's definitely worth reading. Um, there's a discussion about the language we use, uh, unconscious bias and de developing culturally responsive pedagogy. Um, and they identified the following challenges and barriers. Fear of offending, lack of knowledge, competing priorities, which I'm sure is no surprise to you, um, resistance from staff sometimes, and time to plan and prepare. And they actually concluded that these factors are paralysing and stifling the delivery of Aboriginal content to all students, and that while there is a wealth of resources available, teachers find it hard to discern quality resources. And um, finally, it uh, the development of cultural competence requires collective effort and buy-in from school leadership. I've put the link to that um, paper in the Padlet and I've put a lot of links in there, so please, anything I mention is in there. And they're actually seeking submissions, so if you 
want to have a read of it and then add something you can. So when I started investigating this topic, I discovered there were lots of things I didn't know. I didn't know that the Department of Education and Training had quite a bit of information on their website. I didn't know anything about the Kuru protocols, which are also in the Padlet, which give us guidance on how to consult and, um, and terminology once again. So that's probably the place that I would say start, start off. So uh, when I approached people for research, I was worried about saying the wrong thing and not knowing enough. So I was very upfront about that and, um, and, and asked them to correct me if I said the wrong thing. So my impression was that New Zealand had everything covered in this inclusion space, you know, because we, we all think that everything is perfect in New Zealand. <laughs> it's the golden country. Uh, I thought, oh, you know, they've got a treaty with their First Nation peoples and everything uh, flowed on from their included and integrated education system. And I have, of course, discovered since then that not, that's not entirely accurate. But I did wonder what their library staff did to support students and teachers and the curriculum. And my initial research indicated that the National Library of New Zealand provided impressive support to schools. And so I applied for the Slab Research Fellowship to study what they did. And I had planned to go to New Zealand in April this year and I had appointments um, to meet National Library staff in two cities and visit schools with their school support coordinators. But unfortunately, the pandemic struck and I couldn't go. So my more limited research has taken place via email and Zoom. So we need to start with some history. The Treaty of Waitangi is New Zealand's founding document. It was first signed in February 1840. And the treaty is an agreement written in English and in Maori uh, that was made between the British Crown and 540 Maori chiefs. The meaning and interpretation of the document in two languages is by no means uncontested, particularly the meaning of sovereignty. But it does mean, the existence of it means that New Zealand is a bicultural country and government institutions are obliged to be culturally responsive to the aspirations of Maori and actively innovate solutions to represent and include Maori, and particularly to reduce social disparities. In New Zealand, there are two types of schools, English language schools, which teach varying levels of Maori language, and Maori schools, which are full immersion schools. And there are two separate curricula that reflect these two contexts. The foundations of curriculum decision-making include cultural diversity, inclusion, and the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. And those principles are partnership, so you want to have Maori leaders and be engaging with them, protection, which is protection of their knowledge, their interests, their values, and equity, and participation, so positive engagement on all levels. Institutions in New Zealand must embed this cultural practice. Both the National Library Association, LIANZA, and the School Library Association, SLANZA, express a commitment to biculturalism and the Treaty of Waitangi. With LIANZA stating in 1990, the Treaty of Waitangi places the Maori in a different constitutional position from that of any other ethnic group in Eritrea. Librarians have a special responsibility to ensure that the needs and aspirations of the Maori people are recognised in their activities. So the National Library of New Zealand has a comprehensive school services to schools program that includes a vast array of resources, both physical and digital, that they lend out to schools on request. And they're in different cities, so they can reach all the schools. 
and they provide website support and professional development. And they have these school support coordinators who go out to schools and they've got plenty of staff available to answer any sort of library question. But what I was particularly interested in knowing was what selection criteria did they use to pick their resources and did they guide how, or what criteria they guided their school libraries towards and to see if we could maybe apply it to um, selecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander resources. So I'm just going to share my video. Oh, no. Hang on. I share my screen. Probably I've got a lot of lag here for some reason. <laughs> Not going to share my screen, so I will tell you what my screen says. So when choosing resources for my for library's Maori collection, they they suggest looking for publications in Tira Maori as well as English language about Maori. They are, suggest you source materials for each section of your collection, including non-fiction reference, fiction, picture books and graphic novels, magazines, newspapers and games, and to include topics or narratives such as um, resources in Maori language by lingual editions, biographies of Maori people, tribal history and pre-European history, um, history written from the Maori perspective, stories by Maori authors, and articles and stories featuring Maori contemporary life experiences and success. And they have a similar list for Pacifica resources because obviously they have a lot of Pacific Islander people as well. They told me they buy nearly every resource available and uh, they have an extensive digital collection. In 2022, a new element is being added to the curriculum about the New Zealand wars. This is about the battles that have happened since the treaty was signed, but it hasn't been compulsory in the curriculum previously. The National Library has curated uh, a lot of digital resources for this and they're already running um, professional learning, including tours of sites where these battles occurred. And they expect a lot of um, authors will start writing narratives uh, to accompany this part of the curriculum. And the Ministry of Education provides a digital book uh, about the New Zealand wars that's been written. And this, this topic actually provides us an insight of why we have to keep our collections up to date uh, and what, be mindful of what's in there. Um, these wars were initially known as the Maori Wars because the English always like to call their uh, wars after their enemies, but it makes the Maoris look responsible for this war. So in the 1960s, historians uh, wanted to change the name, so they tried using Anglo-Maori Wars. But this was still a problem because some Maori fought on the Anglo side and 40% of the British troops were actually Irish. They considered just saying land wars, but then that sort of put the blame back on the settlers so they've settled on this uh, idea of the New Zealand wars. So it's just a, a, you know, terminology matters and it does change, it's always evolving, so that's something to keep in mind. I was very fortunate to make contact with some school librarians and they shared their practice. Interestingly, none of them had specific criteria in their collection development policy for resourcing Maori elements of the curriculum. However, um, librarian Ellie Nicholson from a large Catholic boys' school in Wellington stated that cultural competency is included in two ways. 
First, the overall library policies refer to the Treaty of Waitangi and their responsibilities to it, specifically to take care of Maori Taonga, and Taonga means um, objects of natural or natural resources that are highly prized. And second, the collection development policy itself directly refers to resourcing to reflect the cultural makeup of the school. So she said there was a need to balance between making sure we respect and take care of our unique Indigenous culture, but and to be as inclusive of all our students' cultures, which is why she addresses the um, the issue of preserving and promoting Maori culture in the top sort of level of her documentation, so that it's inherent in everything they do. And then when it comes to the collection development, the focus is more on the actual. Um, uh, school community and the cultures they have there. She said she always looks for established reputable authors but avoids self-published books because they tend to have, be pushing certain agendas. Um, she said that some schools keep a separate collection for their Maori resources but she preferred to keep them within the with their peers um, to encourage participation as a sign of partnership rather than having what she considered an obligatory separate collection. In terms of the principle of protection, they created a new collection called the New Zealand Reference. They took the old, older books that were not particularly inviting and put them in there so that they weren't, uh, you know, they were sort of discouraging people from using them. Um, but they didn't want to weed them because it's very hard to get these books. They're not reprinted often and they do have some valuable information. So they put them off into a separate room. They're still um, searchable on the catalogue and available to have a look at. She did note that um, often we keep these resources because they are hard to get, it's hard to get more. Um, and I think that probably happens to us too. Um, but she did say, and this is interesting, when it comes to the decision-making process for new books uh, by a Maori author or written in uh, Maori or about the culture, for her, the resources don't have to pass the same standards of price and value for money or potential readership in the collection because the Treaty of Waitangi means these resources are taonga, so special as well as practical resources. So for example, um, they, will, they have few fluent Maori readers on staff or uh, amongst the students, so the likelihood of books written completely in Maori are being loaned or read as not very high, but they still considered an important part of partnership, protection and participation. So they will buy copies of Diary of a Wimpy Kid or um, Harry Potter in Maori because they feel they just should be there to show that the, the Maori culture is represented and valued. And I think that's that's a great, um, it's a good idea. I'm not sure that every library would have the budget to operate that way. Um, another perspective came from Fran Mez in a large urban primary school in a growth area in East Auckland, which is a school to many immigrants in New Zealand. Um, the predominant cultures are Chinese and Indian, although they do have increasing numbers of Maori and Pacific Islanders. And they have a lovely, um, their library has a lovely Maori name called Te Manawa, which means the heart. And she said, we are protecting the Maori stories, particularly in our school with its huge immigrant population. Because if the children who are new to New Zealand don't learn about Te Aroa and Te Kanga Maori here at school from us, where will they learn it? 
but she did find in her previous school, which had a greater Maori population, she did have a genreified Maori collection, and she found that it um, increased borrowing significantly. So slightly varying practices depending on school population and budget, but cultural competency and the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi are embedded in the selection process. But just in case we think they are perfect, Wendy McCaskill, the National Manager Capability Services at school told me that at their professional development, they still have a lot of people saying that they don't feel confident teaching um, Maori history or culture. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not a, an unusual situation, even though they have a lot of really great resources and support. Um, so I think these are some practices that we can consider and work with to resource our libraries for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander collections. Of course, here in Victoria, we are very fortunate to have the Lomerk Library. And early on in my research, I had a discussion with Jenny about how she chooses Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander resources. And she said that she would first go for an Aboriginal author with good quality writing, and then secondly, a non-Aboriginal author with good quality writing. But she's always looking for the authenticity, the links to the curriculum, the collaboration of authors, and whether permissions were sought. In the Padlet, I have included a link to an excellent article by Adam, oh, Helen Adam and Laurie Harper at Edith Cowan Uni on assessing and selecting culturally diverse literature, which also states it's optimal to have the resource written by people of culture reflected in the book. They state that with non-fiction books, many contain themes focused on more exotic aspects of culture, such as celebrations, traditions and traditional stories with little or no portrayal or mention of contemporary life. And this can promote stereotypical or outdated understandings of our diverse cultures. And remember, in the New Zealand list, they did talk a lot about, uh, they, it's a specific criteria to look for contemporary stories. I did notice when Jasmine Seymour did her, um, her acceptance speech for Baby Business and the CBCA Awards, she mentioned that she wanted to write that book because she wanted to have those contemporary stories available, um, because that's obviously very important in creating a well-rounded um, education. Um, there's been an explosion of curated lists of Indigenous Australian books this year, partly because of the Black Lives Matters movement. And um, nearly every bookshop has one, and I've put one in the Padlet, a link to the readings list. Um, there were a number of First Nation books in the CBCA notable list, shortlist and winners. And of course, Magabala Books with their teaching notes is a great place to start. And um, I like getting books from the Indigenous Literacy Foundation as well. I've put some other links in the Padlet um, to some April resources. And also this year, the National Centre for Aboriginal Children's uh, Australian Children's Literature in Canberra launched um, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander resource list. Um, another resource that I have selected for my school library to use next year is Our Land, Our Stories, which is a series of books, cards and digital content. And it was um, developed uh, in consultation with 35 uh, people around the country. And it is also designed to allay teachers' fears um, about uh, sharing sensitive Australian uh, Indigenous stories. It's really a beautiful resource um, and I can't wait to start using it. 
and sharing it with my teachers. And I think they're actually talking about it at the Slav November conference. Susan's nodding yes. So it's um, it's really great. And it's got a lot of contemporary information in there, which will be fantastic. Um, this year Slav ran a lot of professional development on diversity and Stellar Schools also has a lot of information on this subject. Um, I went, uh, I attended some seminars which were amazing by the VCAA, which I'm thinking might be spoken about in the next part of this uh, day. And they they were really beneficial to me as a librarian, just to um, get ideas of how I how I could suggest resources to teachers, um, even if they weren't coming looking for Aboriginal resources, they were just coming about say weather or whatever, and I could say, oh well, yeah, why don't you also try incorporating this Aboriginal perspective in? And they they were fantastic. They are fortunately available on the website, and I've included that link. Um, I've got about one more minute, Susan. Um, in August, I attended a Melbourne Writers' Festival event that was called Navigating Our Future, and it's also in the Padlet. Um, and that was two university lecturers talking about the teaching of Australian literature in secondary schools. They talked a lot about Indigenous books, how um, if we look at the list of books that teachers use, uh, they're often not Australian and not Indigenous. Uh, and one of the things they felt was that um, it's that confidence thing and, and just listening to um, Matthew um, explaining about Koori English, I, I guess that's a, that what they were trying to say was that, um, and that he sort of reinforced for me, was that sometimes the text, you need to have a different worldview or understand the Aboriginal worldview a bit better to feel comfortable teaching it. So I'd really um, encourage you, particularly secondary teachers, to go and have a look at that, listen to that podcast. And then I've also included the link to the research, which was the sort of the original basis of that um, uh, consideration of what books were being taught. Um, very interestingly, I made contact recently with a lady on Twitter. Uh, her name is Kerry Klim, uh, Gugu Yalanji Koko Lama woman. And she had put up a stream of photos and comments about work she had done with her child's school librarian um, to make the collection more inclusive and to remove some books that she considered offensive. And she talks about what she didn't like about them. She has some photos. Uh, at the time, they produced a document for Queensland Education uh, and they heard nothing about it, but this Twitter stream recently got a bit of publicity and Queensland Education have now got in contact with her and want to consult with her so that they can update their protocols. So that's something else to have a look at if you want. Um, and recently, just last week, I did a, um, a professional de development session with New South Wales CBCA branch on NADOC, um, how you can use their books and use resources for NADOC Week and that was really, really good. So that is also still available. And um, so I suppose once I started looking at this topic, uh, I was surprised by how many resources were available, but perhaps I just hadn't noticed that before until I started to focus on it. Um, and I certainly found more opportunities to do uh, professional learning online because of the pandemic. And I hope that at least continues. I, I followed lots of leads and I talked to lots of researchers and educators. And the thing that they all said to me was that yes, mistakes would be made, but it's okay as long as you were genuine and consultative and willing to learn. 
So I think in conclusion, um, New Zealand school libraries are expected to maintain a robust and current Maori collection. Um, and we don't, in the absence of a structural document, which we obviously don't have, like a treaty, we can use some of their principles to guide us and their practice. And, um, and also, obviously, we've learned today that there's a lot of resources available to us. And I was going to show you a beautiful verse from Ambulin from Melina's book, Living on Stolen Land, which was talking about humility in, um, in just learning about Aboriginal culture. But I don't think I can get my actual PowerPoint to work, so I'm sorry about that. But you might, if you have the opportunity to go and read that book, it's really beautiful too. Um, that's about it. So 